1: Hello, and welcome back to the prep to pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Max Carlin. Max, how's it going?
0: I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I'm excited because we have our final set of episodes before the, the long-awaited, the very, very, very long-awaited 2020 NBA Draft. We are going to talk about our final draft boards, go over all things boards, talk about our philosophies uh, the the class in general its strengths and weaknesses and then the board and 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 the tiers itself so it's going to be a long one um but just general you know class board overview so let's get into it the wait is finally over football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
0: Yeah, a couple notes uh, at the top before we get started um one bit of promotional material we are doing our live broadcast on twitch during the draft uh should be a lot of fun uh drop in you can ask some questions live uh it'll be be a good time hopefully better experience than is typically offered on uh on the networks so uh check that out and also we are recording this on friday the 13th um that means that this is before the NBA transaction window opens. So if some sort of huge trades happen that are league altering or draft altering, we do not know about them. They, they're in the, the future for us. So uh, yeah, if, if we're kind of conspicuously missing on some big move uh, that would be the reason why.
1: Yeah. So, and if the, any of that happens, assuming it does, and if it will, we'll address that on the live show and, have, have our thoughts and reactions to that. And, you know, when the draft actually happens. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Come, come listen to us broadcast our thoughts and our reactions and stuff. So without, without further ado, let's, let's get into today's episode.
0: Sure, Ben. So let's talk about boards. Um, they're kind of, they're kind of a silly way to approach the draft because players are different things in different contexts. Players, uh, represent different value to different teams, um, so I, I mean, h- how do you feel about about putting out a board at all?
1: I think a lot of just like the value of putting out a board is just, um, at least for me, is just just having a general sense of, of how I feel about prospects and kind of um, understanding their role and what they are. I think a lot of that comes with tiers. Um, and just delineating prospects as you know we'll get into our specific tiers and the prospects within those tiers for the 2020 draft later but just understanding you know which prospects are creators and which are role players and you know which are complementary pieces and how those players should be ordered um, I mean even then um, you know I'm gonna prioritize the the genuine creator bets over complementary bets as I think most people will um, but for for every team, that's just not consistent. I mean if, if you if you take a team you know a team by team big board approach even is is probably more useful. Look at a team like the Sixers um, would probably have complementary uh, players like Desmond Bain and Malachi Flynn a lot higher than I'd rank them in a vacuum. It doesn't mean that they're better prospects. it's just one they th- that's a need that they fit. And that's a context where they can succeed and hit their high outcome. I think that's the big thing missing with a big board. Um, it's not necessarily fit. It's under. It's the context at which fit uh, determines you know, player development and how a player actually, which outcome a player and a prospect can actually hit. Yeah, it's more than you know. X player is is higher on the board because he fits better on this team. It's this player if you know if he goes to a team lower down will be will have a better chance of of reaching a ceiling because of their context and that's something that that's kind of missing with the board and i mean it's just a very like there there's inherent complications with you know ordinal rankings like how much better is like one than two than three or three to five or 40 to 80 because you know the 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 way the talent curve works is the difference between you know the first and tenth best prospect is so much wider than the fortieth and eightieth best prospect. And you can try to abate that a little bit with tiers, but still like there's only so much you can really learn about how much better prospects are than each other by just a numeral ranking. So there's lots of problems with board. A lot of it I think is one just like for like presentation as well to like the outside world as well of your thoughts. Um but I mean I think the acknowledging that it's overly simplistic and that, you know, there's you, you need to be thinking a little more deep and, and complex about role and context um, than a board can really offer.
0: Yeah, I think some of those issues can be addressed by uh, making a post-draft board. Uh, so accounting for, for the context that these players are going to find themselves in. You know, a, a very salient example is you know, Tyrese Halliburton. If he winds up on... Um, the Suns. I'm probably mm-hmm. going to think more highly of his uh, of his chances to to realize a high end outcome than I will if he winds up on the Pistons. Um, just because I think that he'll be in a role that's more suited to uh, to his abilities. Um, so I think that you can you can address some of those concerns with a with a post draft board with a bit more information there. Uh, and that's something I think we'll definitely be doing in addition to our final boards. Um, but the other thing that a, a board doesn't account for is that it's, it's a static thing and the draft is, is very dynamic um, because you're kind of constantly accounting for, for opportunity costs for scarcity. Uh, It's something that we really got at, I think with our, with our best plays episodes and would definitely recommend that people check those out uh, if they're kind of interested in thinking about players this way. But, you know, if you're, if you're a a wing needy team or, or not even a wing needy team, if you're just a team that, that, believes that you really need to stock up on wings um and you get to the you know 16th 17th pick and Vassell and Okoro are gone uh you're you're kind of out of options like you you by by virtue of scarcity you kind of like would have to take Josh Green or someone like that if you if you you know if that's what you're looking to acquire and that's what you think um is valuable in the league so these things are 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 changing as the draft progresses they're changing as you draft people, um, I know we both did the um, the uh, right rookie Sanchez uh, mail ba- or not ma- uh, what's it called round, round table round table for for our pal sixers Adam um, and one of the questions was about uh, sort of stockpiling at a position of need and I think that could be a worthwhile approach certainly take a lot of shots at, at a really high leverage spot but that's dynamic also what if you get to the point where you have three of these guys? is the next one going to diminish developmental resources so much for the for the first three that it's it you know actually has negative marginal value to add that that fourth guy at the same position so it's i don't think that a static board is well suited to what is a very very dynamic process
1: yeah, and that, that same concept works in, in, in reverse. I mean, you talk about all of the kind of like the the complementary guards in this class um, around the late first, early second ring. You know, you know, your Nico Mannion, Devin Dotson, Tyrell Terry, Cassius Winston, Trey Jones, all of these players, there's, there's a lot of them. And beyond the point of, you know, backup guards or small guards who aren't stars, Needing to be really, really good and exceptional to bring special value, um, like you know, beyond just the our issues with drafting those type of players highly and spending real value on them. There, if there's just so many of them, like it's probably worth waiting. Look, look, I mean, if you can, if you have to take someone like I don't know, just like Tyrell Terry, um, maybe early twenties. Um, but you could get Cassius Winston in the 40s. Then I'm taking Cassius Winston every single. I'm waiting to get Cassius every single time, even if I think Tyrell Terry's, you know, slightly better of a prospect. There's not that much of a difference to to make it worth drafting him high. And and you know that gives teams more options in terms of trade trade downs and trade outs and moving around. And then one more thing, um, a board can't really take into account is trade value as well. I mean, th- there's definitely some of that you can price in but you know prospects like a prospect like james wiseman who even if in a vacuum uh, I'm not, we're not huge fans of relative to consensus. Is one going to have a leash because he's going to be a top pick. He's going to get chances. He's going to be allowed to fail and make mistakes and stick around. And because he has the number one pick tag attached to him, not only because he is toolsy and, you know, has what the NBA looks like, looks for, he's going to have much more trade value than someone, you know, like Xavier Tillman if they went like 17th or in the 20s or in the early second. That's just another. Yeah, just one more point that you know boards you can't—it's like, hard to factor that in. And, and, and like, if even if you do price it, in, like, are you keeping that consistent across your board? Like, are you valuing trade value for for every single prospect? So that's just another you know factor that boards can't really account for.
0: Yeah, and I think that the the general uh, response to to I guess fixing boards while still putting out something that. So like you said, I mean, people want – and it's a useful tool to give a general idea of who you like and don't like. Uh, the answer is uh, tiers, and we'll get into ours in more depth later. But what does, what does a tier distinction mean to you?
1: I mean uh- – I mean, a tier distinction, mainly to me, is a way to kind of delineate larger gaps um, in in quality of talent in the draft. Like I said, um, the talent curve is a real thing in the draft, uh, as where, you know, it's kind of like a bell curve uh, or somewhat not like more of like but something with it with the tail falling off at the end to where, you know, your first overall picks are, you know, these incredible generally, you know, maybe not in this draft, but these high-level prospects, franchise-changing talents, um, and then, you know, your 10th overall pick is is not that. Um, someone who, you know, maybe is a great complimentary piece, but definitely isn't that. And, and, and the gap in value between those, let's say they're, they're only nine spots apart on your board, but because of how scarce and important that franchise changing creator is, the value between him and and number 10 is massive. On the other hand, you know, your your 40th and your 80th rank prospects, well, yes, they're 40 spots apart, they're likely both gonna be um, role player gambles or fringe NBA bets just because of, you know, there's a lot more of those type of prospects than the real stars. So, you know, that's a way as towards towards the top of the draft, you're you're likely gonna have a few small tiers and as the draft goes down, your tiers are going to get bigger, and then you're probably going to have one or two really big tiers towards the end. So that's, that's the main value to me of tiers is, is kind of illustrating those larger dips um, in talent in the draft. And the other way is kind of the classify different, kind of different roles of players and, and different, you know, definitions of where I want to take guys. It's not like, it's not like, i have all of the creator bets in tier one or all of the the high leverage complementary bets in tier two and the fringe roll bets in tier three but i think there's it's instructive to kind of try to label your tiers which is you know what i I know max tries to do um by kind of you know what type of players we value in that range like the, the the fringe the flawed creator is more valuable than then than the very good complementary piece is, is more valuable than the solid complementary piece slash high upside bet is more valuable than the rotation bet. So that, those are kind of the two main ways that you know, I, I use tiers on, on my own board to help give it a little more you know, nuance and, and try to add some of that context that a pure ordinal ranking lacks.
0: How firm are you in um, your opposition to reaching down a tier with higher tier t- uh, players available?
1: I think it depends. Um, I think generally um, decently firm, but I think it's silly to always have hard and fast rules. Um, like I think, especially in, you know, in this draft, over the top of the draft, like my like my tier one is LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes, but I would not be opposed to certain teams if they landed number one, taking someone like Anthony Edwards or even like Devin Vassell or Isaac Okoro in certain situations. So I would say like fairly firm, ish but still like depending on context and what you need i think tears can always be broken and it's more of a reflection again like yes it's a reflection of, of quality of talent and like the gaps between between um you know, just the the gaps between prospects, but that still doesn't really account for context and team need and, you know, certain special situations. So um, I, I would say there definitely is room to break tiers and, and reach for someone lower if if it's the right pick.
0: I tried to make mine pretty firm by having half tiers. So having a 1A, 1B, where I think that there's a grouping that I think is distinctly better, but in the absolute perfect situation could see reaching across tiers um lower down i've got full tier distinctions that i I could see broken and wouldn't hate but but would be pretty opposed to um so for me i tried to make them pretty firm i think that that's like a a sensible way to present things that everyone within a tier i see a case i see um there are reasons why this player would appeal over another um and you just gotta you have to evaluate that player understand what what he brings understand what you're what you're trying to accomplish with a pick uh you know understand your plan for for development uh and then you can kind of work within that tier but i tried to make mine pretty firm which is not to say that that you know if you if on my board you you reached across tiers and took uh tyrell terry over uh i don't know and Tilly or something I it's you know I wouldn't say that that's the worst decision ever but um, I think that that I feel pretty firm in uh, in not crossing those tiers be, and, and sort of enabled that with with the half tiers yeah um, now uh, I've, moving on I guess from the the concept of, of ranking and, and presentation of those um, should we do a, I guess a brief, discussion of our, our I guess evaluation philosophy especially given that we've've we've, we've got some new listeners for sure uh, in the lead up to the draft um, Ben what what yeah. what do you value in the draft
1: I mean I think the first uh, and foremost thing we have to talk about um, is at you know the, the thing that you need in the draft is stars and those stars most often the the stars who can drive championship offense um, win based on advantage creation. So looking for a high level advantage creation is kind of the first thing I'm always looking for in this, you know, primarily in, in primary prospects. Can you because, you know, just being able to break down that defense initially, whether you have an elite first step or an elite handle to, to discard defenders or elite strength to, to, to push to push defenders back in force rotations, that, that that advantage creation, I think, is the most important thing to me. That you know, especially in primary prospects and mostly in primary prospects that you're looking for is, can this, can this prospect bend a set defense and force rotations? Because that's how NBA offense happens, and that's how you generate scores, and obviously that's how you win basketball games and win championships. So that's that's the most important thing that I look for uh, in primaries, which are the most important thing you know archetype to search for in the draft. Beyond that, I think the the trait that I that I prioritize most is intelligence. Um, you know, we talk about it in terms of feel for the game, basketball IQ, um, not only for you know role players, but for primaries as well. Because once you get past that initial advantage creation, um, decision making is absolutely critical. Um, all of the best stars are high level decision makers. Um, You have to beyond being able to generate the advantage, you need to be able to make the right decision to to see the whole floor and understand um, what the right pass is and where to place it and whether that pass is even a good idea or if it's a better idea to go score himself. I mean, just just being able to process the game quickly and and make good, consistent decisions is critical for primaries and also critical for, um, you know, more complementary pieces on both ends um you know offensively we talk about role players need to more good role players need to do more than shoot spot up threes they have to make strong decisions have to make, make quick decisions make make the right decisions make them make them quickly especially in the playoffs as, as windows tighten and and defenses get stronger and tighter being able to see the floor and, and make critical decisions um i think it's crucial you know and then defensively as well just making correct rotations and and timing things correctly is and seeing un- actions unfold quickly is huge. I think there's two components of that. There's feel, and then there's IQ, which are, honest, often kind of nebulous. I try to, th- I tend to think of feel as like more instinctual, and IQ is more, as more learned and and studied, like IQ being, you know, having studied a pick and roll a pick and roll coverage um, and how to beat it and feels is understanding angles and spacing and timing and kind of beating it with instincts. I think it's probably the most difficult thing to really get to a high level um, I think it's kind of a thing, it, it goes hand in hand with wiring where you kind of have it or you don't, I think, and it's really difficult to improve. Um, obviously, you know, t- passing is separate from feel um, and IQ, though, and they're linked but separate. You can teach someone to make basic passes. Like we talked about with someone like Onyeka Kongwu, plenty on this pod, like you can teach him to make... Uh, kick to the short roll or a laydown pass off of that and that's like a, just a basic basic robotic decision but making high level reads with with speed and dexterity that you know go against um, that, that really dictate what defenses do and high level defenses that is really rare so those are kind of the two like main prong like two main prongs I mean there are so many other things as well which i'm sure we'll get into but I'll let you go with some of your things as well
0: yeah I still think paramount for me is intelligence but but i think it's maybe more fair to phrase it as like basketball understanding because you don't need to be tyrese halliburton but you have to have a clue of of what's going on on the floor and that applies to every single role like if you if you are a a uh spot up threat and closeout attacker like at the very least you need to be incredibly quick off the catch um and then you need to be reliable in, in what you're doing. Once, once you step inside the three point arc, obviously for a creator, you need to be able to read the floor. You need to be able to anticipate, you need to be able to manipulate, you need to understand, uh, you know, you need to understand like the the game theory of how people are going to react to your uh, actions. Um, So there's a huge amount of intelligence required there. Defensively, you need to recognize action based off of pattern recognition that you very possibly haven't seen before. You need to just pick out things that are, that are um, reminiscent of the things you have seen before and, and figure out what's going to happen before it happens in order to make a play on it. Like that's, that's pretty hard to do. There's just a, a high amount of intelligence that's required in, for every single role on a, on a basketball floor. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's like little field things like, like, um, you know, knowing the angle to set a screen at when, you know, when to flip it, when to flip it, uh, you know, find, finding opportunities to screen and cut off the ball. Uh, these are things that matter so much. Uh, and I think that they're only really learnable, learnable through massive amounts of, of game experience uh, that by the time you get to the NBA, you, you're not going to get... You're, it's not enough time. Um, this is something that has to be developed through the first 18, 20 years of a prospect's life. Um, and then, yeah, it's probably advantage creation. Y- yeah, If you, it, you need to... Have ways to compromise the defense if you're uh, a creator prospect, uh, and that's the most valuable commodity there is because they drive offense. Um, uh, Yeah, And just generally valuing uh, functional basketball abilities. So, you know, I I care a lot about athletic tools, but uh, Max Vert in an empty gym to me is not like a relevant basketball athletic tool. Uh, your one foot contact leaping is a very important athletic tool. Your your first step or just, I guess, short area burst in general is a massively important athletic tool. Um, I don't much care about three quarter court sprints, though. Um, so functional basketball abilities, whether that's, you know, these athletic abilities, uh, ability to break guys down with a handle, uh, you know, strength, of course. All of these, all of these tools, um, you know, I, I just want to see them in a basketball setting as opposed to a combine setting. Um, well, and then just generally, I, I care about uh, accounting, accounting for scarcity, accounting for team building um, and investing in players that will push you closer toward a championship. So that's, you know, I, I'm definitely on the lower end of someone like James Wiseman or Obi Toppin. I think that they kind of impose things, impose restrictions upon you that don't necessarily bring you closer toward a championship. Even if they make you a better team, they could make you a better team. But I don't particularly care, um, personally, about going from being a thirty-three win team to a forty-five win team. Uh, I'm much more interested in, in raising that ceiling. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that that about covers it for for what I'm I'm. Looking to do in the draft. Yeah,
1: a, a couple more things that I wanted to value, uh, or to, to mention. One, I mean, you, you, you kind of you kind of alluded to this with with team construction. Is just it's really important to think about role, not only the role that a prospect is currently playing, but but the role that a prospect is, is going to take on at the next level, and what role they should and 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 are most optimal at the next level. Uh, well bring up Tyrese Halliburton again, because he's such a salient example for so many different um, ph- like philosophical prongs. Um, You know, who is Tyrese Halliburton, uh, a primary offensive engine at Iowa State, who, you know, was efficient as a scorer uh, and a shooter. But when you, you know, understand that he is a limited ball handler, um, burst uh, strength, the, the finishing volume, and just, just effectiveness and translation is, is not going to be good enough you can't project him into, you know, point guard or in quotations or just offensive engine role. You know, understanding that Halliburton, his best role is going to be as an off ball kind of linking player, taking advantage of his spot up prowess and running secondary pick and rolls, uh, playmaking and transition, all all of that. Understanding that going lower benefits him and certain teams are going to be better equipped to maximize him in that role. And if he goes to a team, miss misuses him and kind of can treat him as a primary that he's less likely to to hit a high outcome um that brings me a, a nice segue to outcomes um that kind of a ranking of a player for me is is not ranking like one of their outcome like like i'm not ranking like we obviously did ceiling boards and and we did a ceiling board on this podcast and we did a medium board that's those are useful, useful exercises to me. Just because considering ceiling and considering median are, are crucial, but you have to consider everything at once. Um, kind of like creating an expected value um, of, of what outcome I think a prospect is most likely to hit. Obviously, you know, again, a lot of that depends on context, and a, a re rank is important there. But just kind of figuring out where a prospect's, um, you know, what their realistic ceiling is, how likely they are to hit that ceiling, what their realistic floor is how likely they are to hit that floor and what has to happen for a prospect to to hit his floor or his ceiling um and then the last thing that we value a ton is is development arc um just tracking a player's development over a longitudinal period of time something something we talk about plenty on this podcast with with someone like killian hayes who's made significant strides um, in many facets of his game, just over the last calendar year, that if you just watched Ulm Killian Hayes, yes, you saw a very good player, but you don't understand the level to which he has drastically improved. And you know, f- for those players who are young and skilled and intelligent and drastically improving, it's it's solid to bet on them to continue um, on that positive tr- and that positive development arc. And then you know, kind of opposite for you know prospects who prospects who stagnate. Prospects who, you know, maybe especially older prospects who don't get better year over year and don't improve their skills or, or their production, um, that, that's a concern. Um, so those are th- those are the other like more minor prongs and facets of, of my draft philosophy that I wanted to bring up. Uh, but I think that about covers it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up development arc. It's really important. Um, and I outlined this poorly and forgot to put it in there um it's okay <laughs> yeah for for role uh yeah considering what role a guy can fill at the next level is very important but also considering the value of that role like we've said creators are highly valuable defensive anchor bigs i i mean one of the big things for me this year has been uh really uh emphasizing the value of coverage versatile bigs uh kind of like the the selling point for Onyeka Kongu. That those guys are really really hard to find uh, and are big time ceiling raisers um, so yeah, it's understanding how a guy projects into what very well may be a, a new role and the value of that role. That that you know the Devon Dotson off guard slasher point guard sized, who's like okay at defense at best, is not a particularly valuable role even if he's very good at it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 account- projecting role, accounting for the value of that role, scarcity um yeah all of all of that works into it um yeah
1: the wait is finally over Football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Preps of Pro NBA Draft podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I am talking about the Manscaped perfect package 3.0 the lawnmower 3.0 comes inside the brand new perfect package 3.0 which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season it's literally everything you need to keep trimmed cut free and smelling nice down there the manscaped perfect package 3.0 also includes the crop preserver an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer you already put deodorant on your armpits why are you not putting it on the smelliest part of your body and yes your balls stink Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Yeah, so that's a basic outline of our philosophy. We've done whole episodes on... Our draft philosophy. I mean, you can check out episodes that we've done. Our, our, I think our first episodes with PD on philosophical, the this draft, our episode with TJ Farrick, I think is a good point here as well. So plenty of content on philosophy if you're interested. Um, I think now it's time to get into just thoughts, general thoughts, o- overarching thoughts on the 2020 draft class, kind of harkening back to our, our very first episode. Um,
0: I know. We've totally come full circle.
1: Yeah. Coming back to, to our very first episode um many months ago. It's it it seems like forever ago, but it was in this calendar year. So we're gonna we're gonna start now where we began and just talk about strengths, weaknesses, trends with this general draft class uh, and how it compares to to other classes before getting on to you know the the players and the tiers in specific. So
0: all right, this should be easy. Let's get this out of the way. What are the weaknesses of the class, Ben?
1: Oh man, um, just you know, we t- talked about creation and advantage creation as the key thing, um, as the most valuable commodity, and there just isn't that in this draft. Along with just the lack of high-end talent, the, you'll hear the trope that this this draft is a is a weak draft, and all over all over the place, and that's true, and that's because mainly that it, beyond depth issues and everything else that it lacks high end star talent even a class like like 2019 which we'll get to later um that was considered weak by many had that generational creator offensive engine in zion williamson there, there's nobody like that in in this class as you, as you just watch this class and and look at them, there's just not a lot of prospects who really look like high level NBA advantage creators, um, and, and that that to me is definitely the main weakness of this class and the main thing that, that drags it down.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the top of the draft, the point is to get franchise changing talents, and there are there aren't really any this year. There there are I would think three guys who are not really close, but kind of close um uh it it, it's just is lacking in a franchise changing talent um and if that's the object of the top of the draft which i think we both think it is or everyone thinks it is uh that's a pretty big failing. i
1: mean it's just it's difficult because like both the, i know the, the top two prospects to me i mean lamello and killian um lamello is not really an advantage creator at this point um he obviously wins with his the elite playmaking and the ball handling and hope that he can improve that in time killian hayes has improved as, as an advantage creator but being a primary generator of offense is, is not his selling not his main telling point and then anthony edwards who i don't have in that tier just because uh who does theoretically have the tools to be a really effective advantage creator with you know the powerful first step and stuff just has so many other questions it's it's really rough and it just lacks that 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 player who you can who can change the direction of a franchise which is what you want at the top of the draft
0: yeah there just isn't a guy who who marries like elite self-creation upside with the ability to drive offense like i, I think lamello and killian can can compromise defenses can manipulate defenses and are brilliant playmakers but i have serious concerns about lamello having both volume and efficiency and I have concerns about Killian having volume as a scorer. And then Ant, I, I think he can have volume as a as a as a self-creator, but you know, the decision making is pretty questionable. It's as is the efficiency. It's just, you know, the they're uh they're flawed. They're flawed creator prospects, and we'll we'll talk more about that later. But the, yeah, there are not there are, are not any guys in this class who I think really changed the fortunes of the franchise. Um yeah. on to a smaller concern, but one that annoys me is that there are very few uh of those bigs uh, uh there are very few bigs in this class that meet the qualification that that i laid out of advancing you toward a championship um the only ones really are a and tillman i think uh or and Tilly, and Tilly,
1: and Tilly if he's healthy
0: Tilly if healthy um yeah the rest of these guys are pretty situational. Yeah. Uh, lots, I think of
1: special, lots of specialists or floor yeah. raisers.
0: There, there are specialists like Najee, like Jalen Smith. Um,
1: precious, even.
0: Precious, for sure. But then there are guys that I think could be pretty valuable, but just they're going to be very situationally constrained, like Toppin and Wiseman. Um, yeah. And, and it's I, just like, you know.
1: Anyways, those two I think are, 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 you know, textbook floor raisers as well. Um, exactly. Players who elevate uh, a bad team, uh, you know, with skills that aren't really additive um, to high level to high level basketball, like, you know, but just don't don't raise the ceiling of a championship level roster with high end talent. And I think that scalability is really important for for hot for, for, for bigs that aren't like high end stars, which there there's no like high end star big men in this class. Those are so rare, like the rare bigs that can really drive championship offense or are good enough defensively. To, to be star level, so, so those bigs who aren't, which I think there's very clearly none in this class, have to be scalable. They have to be able to scale uh, with high end talent and have skills that 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 align with ball dominant creators. You know, shooting, uh, decision making, uh, some basic ball handling, uh, coverage versatility. Um, and you know that's what you see out of uh, out of prospects like Onyeka and Tillman and Tilly who have those additive skills. But even you know they have their flaws. Um, and they are really the only the only bets that you're kind of trusting to to play high leverage minutes at at, at the big spot, um, which is which is a shame because those are you know really important pieces that just teams aren't going to find in this draft. I think. So,
0: um, did you have any other major weaknesses you wanted to address?
1: Um, I mean, there weren't any other like th- the. I mean, I think just general like second round goodness, like in depth of like quality role player bets is one. Um, I mean, I think even in relation to, like, last year's draft or the year before, there just aren't a lot of good second-round bets. Um, I, I think that's more of a minor weakness because the second round is always more dicey. But I think, yeah, that, that's definitely worth mentioning. There just aren't as many, like, second-round gambles to me that are really exciting, um, you know, compared to, like, the last couple of years where I think uh, more there's, there's just more standout second-round guys that I'm excited about you know, excited about investing and 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 swinging on. Um I mean, of course like that doesn't account for regional you know, prospects who will inevitably slip who you know we value higher and kind of surprises that happen. But no, yeah. no other like major weaknesses
0: one that, that just occurred to me that has recently become a huge weakness I think is um there are no good second round stash candidates at this point pretty much yeah. because because of the late withdrawals of Rokas Jokobitis, Georgios Kalitsakis, um Archer's Kuroks. Uh I'm trying to remember if there were any others but those there the were ones Yeah, there were a handful mm-hmm. of late withdrawals and it's it's tough now there are not a lot of guys I'm enthused about especially um, for
1: teams that have like a lot of picks like the yeah. Sixers or the Pelicans like you, you don't want to you can't a lot of teams can't afford to roster all of those picks.
0: Yeah, they um, just truly yeah. like truly do they not have cannot.
1: A, like, a Yeah. <laughs> so and, and you know there's only like two or maybe three real like enticing stash candidates that are worth anything, you know, beyond like Bomaro, who is like much better than all of these guys, but there's only like a couple real second round stash candidates, which, yeah, I mean, I feel like there there tends to be, you know, there, there might be some that, that come out um, kind of surprised. And there are some that, you know, teams will value more than Max and I do like, like a Pauly but. Well, and
0: Ben, what, what we're going to see, I think is that some of these pre-stash guys from NCAA, some guys who, who signed with uh, international teams because of the the misaligned uh, schedules now um, and are, are draft eligible, but but will be playing for international teams. I think we'll see some of those guys stashed. So you know, someone like Justinian Jessup, uh, who signed with with uh, the Olara Hawks, Elowara, the NFL, yeah, um, could definitely see him getting drafted and stashed. And I think that, that actually makes a lot of sense if it's something that can be done. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that's a that's a nice way to make up for for losing these stash options but uh yeah. it it stinks nonetheless like the there were I like jokobitis Kalitzakis in particular I, I was I was like you know pr- pretty into them as, as stash options. Yeah, I
1: believe strongly in both of them as like solid second round second round gambles and even like I didn't like kourooks as much but but I still do like kooks as like a yeah. interesting like combo guard wing shooting prospect. and again like the just la- lack of options for teams is, is never a good thing. Expect to probably see a lot of like sold or traded second round picks for nothing um, if they can't you know make something with them because again teams just like can't roster all the players that they have picks for, Um, so yeah,
0: yeah. um, All right, let's move on to strengths. Let's let's get positive here. Um, So I think the flip side of lacking the top end talent is that like all of the top guys are really nice complementary talents um and so if you're a team that has your star creator in place already and you get to pick in that like top 15 range or maybe even 20 you're you're in really good shape because you're going to have available to you guys that have skill sets that complement ball dominant players really well a bunch of stylistically different players like you can get a nuclear shooter like Cole Anthony you can get a um elite guard finisher and and guard defender like Tyrese Maxey you could get uh an elite you know burst guy in in RJ Hampton um there are, there are all these different styles of player uh yeah. even even into the top half of the lottery you know you can get uh, a Kongwu is like as like the you know the ultimate ceiling raising big um there are just so many options in terms of getting getting that final piece to tack on to, yeah. to a a core that's already got the main piece. Um and that's not helpful if you are the Charlotte Hornets and, and picking third overall. That really stinks. But um you know if you if you're the Phoenix Suns picking 10th that's a pretty awesome position
1: for be Yeah. I mean it, it, it's just like across positions. Like like you said, all of all of the different, you know, flavors of complementary guards from you know the, the shooting of Cole Anthony to you know the, the finishing and d- defending of Maxi. I mean it's positionally as well, like 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 you have some some potentially really useful like like comp like complementary fours like Patrick Williams and Danny Abdia, who you know provide that valuable, you know, rim protection from the four spot with you know different different kinds but complementary offensive skill set. And I'm, again, like, like Onyeka is like a, like complimentary big, who I think is, and then even as you go to like higher end prospects, like Facel and Akoro, and I, I think both of those are, you know, fundamentally uh as well. Like, even if I think they have more star, star and self-creation upside than the other complimentary prospects, you know, they still, you know, with their defense, especially again, like I talked about earlier, scale really well next to high end talent. Um, where, you know, the, that defense adds, adds well, and both of them have skills. You know, Okoro's cutting and, and his playmaking and his finishing, and then Vassell's you know, shooting. That, that scales really well with high-end talent. Um, and that's just kind of, I th- again, what you need is th- those, th- those valuable skills like shooting, cutting, decision-making, finishing, that scale with high-end talent. And it,
0: it gets to, a, to an important philosophical point um, that if you are not good enough to be playing with the ball in your hands, that you need to be adding value in in, in uh, avenues of the game yep. that aren't uh you know playing with the ball in your hands so you know being a guy who who is a really potent uh off the catch attacker or, or really really strong relocator or uh defensive communicator like the the that's how you add value when you're in a complementary role and there are so many guys who, who are great at doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- there's a huge gap between like the first tier initiators, like, you know, your LeBrons and Lucas and Harden, and then you have your, you know, wrong initiators in quotes that the, the types that, you know, a, again, will drive a, a, could drive a pretty good offensive, good team, just not championship level. You know, I, I think of someone like Zach Levine as a prime, like wrong initiator, or even like Donovan Mitchell, maybe at this point in his career, yeah, and you need like you know you know you it, know it, it's the question like would you rather draft um you know one of those like wrong initiator types who probably like wins you know makes makes all-star teams and puts up a lot of points per game or you know somebody who is is not flashy who scales into a small but who scales into a small role with with spot up shooting and cutting and finishing and, and team defense and those are all super important and you know again why we, we like someone like isaac okoro so much um this just really adds to adds to the the stars that you know drive the most of the championship value but you need other players to to complement them and to add things and talking about additive skills a lot and that's just like again a a big strength of this class is uh, especially for teams picking in like the 10 to 20 range I think or even even like the 7 to 20 range there's there's going to be a ton of strong values just based on the way that um, teams are going to value certain prospects like like someone like Tyrese Maxey um, is a perfect example of just someone who's going to be a really strong complementary value for a team that could already have its star in place
0: yeah another area this draft is very strong is in its guard depth and I think that goes throughout the entire draft I mean all the, all those guys that we mentioned were as as high-end complementary options and that mid first range, but really through the late first. And there's such a glut of them that uh, I certainly expect that some of these guys are going to fall much lower than they should. And uh, again, a, a situation where you, should, where you should definitely check out our best plays uh, episode. But, um, you know, one of one of this like class of Trey Jones, Cassius Winston, uh, Teo Maladon, Tyrell Terry, they're, they're going to fall well into the second, and you're going to get a great value by simply waiting. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's really useful, uh, especially for teams that are going to be operating that area of the draft, because you could just be looking for for a steady um, rotational guard. I mean, think about how much like the Lakers would benefit from having another steady rotational guard. Uh, and and the same thing is is true in the middle of the first, where it's or, or even into the twenties. You know, if you're Philly and and by virtue of guard depth, wind up with Cole Anthony sitting for sitting there for you at twenty one. Uh, I mean, you've got to be absolutely ecstatic. Uh, so so the, the guard depth, I think, is is really beneficial.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to harkening to to scarcity as they're just. Are always, especially in the draft. There's just always more good guards than there are, you know, good defensive wings or good mobile big men or you know, even creators. Like that's why you know, I think it, it is smart, and you'll see a lot of teams waiting to take. You know, the smart, a smart team will will get someone like, you know, like, like you said, like a Teo Malinon or like a Nico Mannion or a Tyrell Terry in the '40s, um, who who can be a really solid rotational piece on like a rookie contract, and and that's hugely valuable. Um, see, I mean, again, like there are avenues for smart teams to take advantage of the places that this draft is strong, you know, by virtue of waiting and trade downs and and, and other things like that.
0: Yeah. Another area I like kind of along the same lines uh, would be the wing gambles. The, I'm not as enthused about these guys. They're not really like m- early to mid seconds to me. They're more, I'll take them late on a two-way or sign them as a UDFA but There are a bunch of guys that I feel pretty comfortable with on two ways, thinking like your Jay Scrubs, Trace Tinkle, uh, Lamin Janet, uh, Trent Forrest, Josh Hall, like Josh Hall, yeah, all of these guys that, that are going to cost you a 50s pick, which is you know essentially a two way or stash, or are going to come as undrafted free agents. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of worthwhile guys, I think that that's kind of these fringy these fringy wings i think are what you should be spending your two ways right. on since, since there's just such a dearth of wing talent yeah exactly i mean it's um, yeah no, this draft yeah. i think is just it's well set up for people to on the for teams on the margins to spend very little to take some worthwhile flyers on some wing talent
1: yeah, and that's just another philosophy point, um, in terms of, you know, how I believe and we believe you should be drafting late in the second. Even if, you know, a, a wing gamble like Lamine Genet or, you know, CJ Ellaby or Christian Doolittle um or Josh Hall or somebody somebody of that in that vein is, you know, maybe less likely to carve out um a spot in the NBA in a career than than someone like Peyton Pritchard. I think it's always more valuable to to take the the wing gamble because if they do end up hitting and and providing some sort of rotation value then that's a that's a much more scarce um and valuable piece than you know a, a solid to, to decent backup point guard um again just w- w- late in the second you're all you're never going to find like a star or almost never going to find like a star or, like a real starter so just looking for those swings that could turn into something beyond like the safety of maybe like a solid backup point guard is is always the way to go to me
0: yeah it, it's an important philosophical point that if you're once you're past guards who are exceptional in some regard you you can find those like truly replacement level small guards are are eminently available yeah. replacement level six seven guys like don't are, really exist are there. rare i mean they're yeah, all I mean, rostered.
1: yeah so i think the, the... Another place that this draft is fairly strong is in kind of this like three and rim protection archetype that we're, we're seeing become increasingly popular and, and necessary in the modern NBA with, you know, spacing and decision making and defensively with range and ground coverage becoming all the more, all the more essential. We talked a little bit about this on our last mailbag episode, I think, and, and it goes like up and down the draft. I think you have, you know, P- Patrick Williams and, and, you know, Patrick Williams is, you know, a main example as, as a high, as a high level one, one of these um really high-level rim protector with, you know, age, ancillary skills. I think, like, you know, Denny, if he ends up shooting, falls here, but less shoot, less three and more other offensive skills. And then the, the, there's the glut of, of prospects like Jaden McDaniels and Tyler Bay and Robert Woodard, who all have flaws, but all, you know, assuming they hit their ceiling and they, they get the jumper to work out, could be really, could, you know, find a place as, like, a seventh man in a rotation, um, you know, have size, have that ability to protect the rim and, you know, hit a hit a three and attack a closeout that's you know an, an increasingly valuable uh, position and there's you know quite a few decent decent bets to to fill that role that's another minor strength that, that i see in this draft
0: yeah there's there's nice nice depth of those guys um and that sort of uh like interplays with with that idea that you can maybe wait on them and and you know m- maybe you'll get a, a robert woodard or tyler bay uh well into the second round and then you're getting one of these what we think is a pretty valuable archetype uh pretty pretty late by virtue of yeah. there just being so many of these guys um and yeah i like some of the high-end ones like patwell and, and poku are 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 legitimately very uh worthwhile prospects as well
1: yeah. Um, so I think the last strength that, you know, we've identified is there's just like a lot of really smart players in this draft and like really good passers. Like, again, we, we talked about as a weakness, the, the top two prospects in this class being, um, you know, not, not really adept at advantage creation. Um, at least not to the level that a primary needs, but they are elite playmakers. And even as you go down, you have, you know, like Tyrese Halliburton is a pretty special passer, even like Malachi Flynn, Cassius Winston, even as you go further down. Uh, the, the, it's such an intelligent group, even beyond the guards. Um, uh, again, like we value basketball intelligence, but that basketball intelligence and understanding feel has to come with other skills that complement it. But you know, just, just in terms of smart basketball players, there's, there's quite a few in this class.
0: Yeah, uh, it it and it runs through a lot of the draft. It's it, you know obviously the, in the top tier, Killian Hayes and Lamelo Ball are are really brilliant basketball players. And then through all of these tiers, you know you have Acura and Vassell are are brilliant on the wing. Uh you know all the way through, you get into the late first and you've got Tillman and Tilly and and even into the second that there are there are some very very smart uh, high field players available. Um. So I think that's a major strength of this class, and if you if you consider that that's one of the more important things for contributing to winning basketball, uh, that's good. It's just you know you you do need other skills. You need you need physical abilities to to capitalize on that intelligence, and that's kind of where this draft falls flat. But the the minds available in the twenty twenty NBA draft are, are extraordinarily high end.
1: All right, so I think we'll, we're going to move on here.
0: Um, yeah do you want to do you want to cut this as part one or do you want to keep going?
1: I think we actually cut it. Yeah, uh, we're yeah let's cut this. Minutes. Yeah, all right. So this is going to be part one of you know our final board overview. Again, we'll, we'll we'll again plug our our final our draft broadcast live on Twitch during the during the draft. So if you want to hear you know more more of this stuff and more of our thoughts live and some of our you know more fun unadulterated reactions and. come come check that out. As always, um, you can follow the pod on Twitter at prep number two pro pod. Get us everywhere you get podcasts. Follow Max on Twitter at Max A. Carlin. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And with that, uh, we will see you all next time.